your Locked on the New York Rangers, your daily podcast on the New York Rangers. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, Blue Shirts fans, to episode number 588 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I'm your host, John Chick. Just wanted to thank you guys for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. That song you're hearing right now is, of course, Leave the Lights On from our good friends in Pacifier. You can check those guys out anywhere you get your music. And the Rangers suffering just an absolute gut punch, a 4-3 triple overtime loss in Game 1 against the Pittsburgh Penguins last night, a game, a loss rather, that did not come without its fair share of controversy. More on that in just a second. I did just want to mention real quick here, though, uh, I know a lot of you are aware of this already, and a lot of you uh, were nice enough to reach out to me and congratulate me, Uh, but as I mentioned a while back on this podcast, my wife and I were expecting our first child, a baby girl, and she got here quite a bit early, arriving on Monday, April 25th, uh, just a couple of Days before the Rangers concluded their regular season, and you know, obviously, you know, we were at the hospital for a few days. Everybody's home now. Baby and mom are both doing absolutely fantastic. We're kind of just adjusting to our new routines, really our new lives, and uh, just over the moon, absolutely in love with this little girl, and could not be uh, any happier at the moment. Um, just want to obviously once again just make mention of that, and of course, thank you guys very, very much for everybody who reached out. A lot of you guys, uh, you know, congratulate me on Twitter. A couple of you guys emailed me as well. Means the world to me. Thank you so much, uh, you know, for for doing that, taking the time to do that. And uh, thank you also for being understanding that, you know, I was going to miss a couple episodes of Lockdown New York Rangers, but I figured uh, a good time to be back would be for a post-game episode of game one between the Rangers and Penguins, whatever happened in that game, you know, we'd come back and talk about it. And, you know, like I said, just wanted to share some good news in my own personal life here before I just absolutely lose my damn mind based on what happened in this game last night. And as I say those words, I'm pretty sure every single person that's listening to this right now, if you watch the game, probably even if you didn't watch the game, you probably know exactly what I'm about to talk about here. And that is, of course, the controversy that occurred in the third period. And we're going to look at this from every conceivable angle. For starters, let's just go through the play again. Capo Caco uh, knocks down the puck in the neutral zone. It looked like the Penguins were trying to just dump the puck into the Rangers zone. Caco gets his body on the puck, and he moves up the uh, right side of the ice through the neutral zone, gains the blue line, and like a bull, uh, just goes barreling toward the Penguin net. And he obviously makes some contact with Casey DeSmith, but he was also uh, being pursued by Brian Dumoulin. Dumoulin pushes him from behind. Kako makes some contact with DeSmith. Dumoulin absolutely wipes out DeSmith. Kako falls onto the ice on his stomach. From his stomach, he has the presence of mind to find the puck and send a backhand pass. I think it was a backhand pass to Philip Heedle. And by now, the net's wide open, and Heedle taps it in and scores from the doorstep. And that would have given the Rangers a 4-3 lead with just 3-10 remaining in the third period of this game. Instead, the... Uh, people hired by the Penguins, I mean the referees, they took a look at the replay and they overturned the call and the goal was disallowed and it was still 3-3. The game went into overtime. The game went into double overtime. The game went into triple overtime. And then finally, uh, the Penguins, just a handful of minutes into the third overtime score, uh, you know, Marino with a shot from the blue line, Malkin with a deflection in front, and they 
steal, emphasis on steal, game one in Madison Square Garden by a final score of four to three. So let's go step by step and just kind of break down every single thing that happened on this play. For starters, let me acknowledge the fact. I understand that simply because there was uh, contact from Dumoulin on Kako, that does not necessarily 100% ironclad mean that goalie interference cannot be called on this play. Because if you... Interpret the uh, rule in the NHL here, which is always a dicey proposition. You never know exactly uh, what they're going to come up with when they're reviewing these plays, what kind of uh, technicality they're going to cite, what the explanation is going to be. I mean, I'm never comfortable watching a replay uh, when it involves a goal uh, having to do with the Rangers because I just never know that there could be something that looks so plain as day, but they come out and they you know disallow the goal or they uh, reward a team with a goal, whatever it might be, and you just, you're just you just baffled by the logic. You're baffled by how they came to that conclusion, and this was no exception to that. Because, again, acknowledging the fact that, you know, Kako can still be called for goalie interference even if there's contact by the defenseman, uh, the reason for that is because if the refs determine, in this case, that Capo Kako was going to make contact with Casey DeSmith regardless of whether there was any contact by Brian Dumoulin, then goalie interference can still be called on Capo Caco. So that should uh, at least explain where they're coming from. That doesn't mean the call was correct because it was not correct. Uh, but that is kind of uh, what the ref's logic uh, was in overturning this goal here. If you watch this replay, Caco's going strong to the net, no doubt about it. Dumoulin's closing from behind. Caco, when he gets closer to the net, starts to turn his skates to, to his left, excuse me, and is starting to look to move parallel across the goal crease there. And at that point, Brian Dumoulin is closing on him. Kako has, there's there's no player in the NHL right now that would have been able to avoid contact with the goalie here uh, despite their best efforts because of the contact that was made by Brian Dumoulin. Because Kako, if you look here, he actually slows down just a little bit and again, he turned his skates to where they were basically parallel with the goal line. And he's about to skate across the crease there, maybe look for like a stuff-in try, you know, carry the puck across the crease and uh, tuck it inside the far post. I think maybe that's what Kako was going to look to do. But due to the contact by Dumoulin, I mean, that was all out the window. And yes, there was some contact made by Kako to Casey DeSmith, uh, but he basically just brushed him, and then Dumoulin barreled into DeSmith, and he's the one that knocked DeSmith out of the crease and didn't give him a chance to stop the forthcoming shot by Philip Heedle. So acknowledging the fact, once again, that yes, goaltender interference can still be called, even if Kako is pushed into the goalie by Dumoulin, this is still 100% the wrong call here to overturn this goal because the only way you can make this call and overturn the goal on the ice, and again, it was called a goal on the ice, is if you are 100% certain, you know, as the refs, as the league, whoever's presiding over all this nonsense, if you're 100% certain that Kako still would have made contact with the Smith regardless of the contact from Dumoulin. So how in the world do you look at this play which again, cannot emphasize this enough, was called a goal on the ice and come to the conclusion that there's no chance that Kako could have possibly avoided contact or would have possibly avoided contact with DeSmith if not for the push from Dumoulin. Not only do I believe that that's an incorrect assessment, uh, when you watch this replay, I think it's actually fairly likely that if 
Dumoulin did not make any contact with Kako, that Kako would have avoided contact with DeSmith. And again, we don't have to prove that it's likely. We just have to prove that it's not 100% certain that Kako would have collided with DeSmith had it not been for the contact from Dumoulin. Because again, the refs cannot make this call. They cannot call Kako for goalie interference unless they look at this play and say, you know what? Yeah, Kako was hitting DeSmith either way, regardless of whether Dumoulin made contact with him or not. The fact that we can sit here and say that it almost seems likely that Kako would have avoided the contact with DeSmith if he was not pushed from behind by Dumoulin. There's no way this goal ever should have been overturned. And even after the really hard push from Dumoulin, and for the record, I've got no issues with anything Dumoulin did here. He's trying to defend. He's trying to break up this scoring opportunity. It's a tie game. It's late in game one of a playoff series. He's trying to do what he's got to do to break up this scoring opportunity. So it's nothing against Dumoulin. He's, he's doing the best that he can to try to prevent a goal here. But even after the hard push from Dumoulin to Kako, Kako still barely touches DeSmith. I mean, it looked bad because, you know, on this play, DeSmith, I mean, he was knocked about a quarter mile out of his crease, but that's because of the contact from Dumoulin. Again, Kako brushed against Dumoulin, uh, brushed against DeSmith, excuse me, and the only reason he made contact with him at all was because Dumoulin was shoving him from behind. So if Kako, once again, just barely made contact with DeSmith due to a pretty hard shove from Dumoulin, then how in the world can you sit there and say that Kako 100% still would have bumped DeSmith even if not for the shove from Dumoulin? I don't think there's any way you can make that assessment, and I don't think there's any way that this goal should have been overturned because, again, it was called a goal on the ice. The fact that they looked at this and said definitively, yes, Capo Kako was going to make contact with Casey DeSmith no matter what, it's absolutely ridiculous, and the worst part is it's just not that unexpected anymore, and I'm going to get into more detail about that in just a second. There's also another aspect or two uh, regarding this uh, this goal that was disallowed here that I want to talk about that I haven't really seen a lot of people talking about all that much. Uh, so we're just getting started here. We got a whole rest of the game to talk about as well because this is obviously a tremendous hockey game. I mean, it's a shame that it was, uh, you know, shrouded in controversy and, you know, we didn't really get a clean winner as far as I'm concerned. But uh, we will, once again, get to, uh, again, the highlights and lowlights of this game in just a second as well as, you know, finishing up talking about this goal that was disallowed here. But first, just want to let everybody know, Today's episode of Locked On New York Rangers is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it is now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX, and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse just so happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts that your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Thanks for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Now podcast. Nightly recaps of every NHL game with analysis from our local experts. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so eventually I definitely want to move on to a couple other things that happen in this game, but I want to... Uh, 
just take a few more minutes to uh, sort of collectively vent here, get over this call that went against the Rangers, and you know we can all move on to Game 2, which is what I'm sure the New York Rangers themselves have already done. But this was such a uh, you know huge call in this game. Uh, obviously, the conspiracy theorists are out you know after something like this happens, especially when it involves the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I figure you know there's a couple other aspects I wanted to tackle this from before we move on to a couple of other things. Uh, there's two things that I haven't really heard a whole lot of other people talking about, and we're going to go into both of those right now. Uh, something that you know bothers me about this goal being overturned as much as anything else is that you know the New York Rangers, they go into the playoffs this year. They're not some like team that barely got into the playoffs, needs a miracle to even advance past the first round. Uh, this is a good hockey team. You know They were having a great season uh, to begin with. Then they make all those trade deadline acquisitions. They're even better. Uh, they improve in virtually every aspect of hockey, not the least of which was defensive prowess and Something that we've said uh, a couple of times on this podcast, at least a few times, you know, over the past months or however far you want to go back is, you know, the Rangers, yeah, they got a great team, but imagine how much better they could be, how much more dangerous they would be, and how much more of a Stanley Cup contender they could be if, you know, the kids, the former first-round draft picks on this team would, you know, step up their game a little bit. And that's not to say that, you know, Lafreniere and Heedle and Kako all had terrible seasons and that none of them contributed. That's not true either. These guys have all had their moments. But once this team, we've said it before, once this team gets bigger contributions from those three guys that I just mentioned, the three former first-round draft picks, that is when they become lethal. And something else that we've mentioned is that, you know, whether it's Kako or Lafreniere or Hedl or really any player in the NHL, you can make a lot of fans forget about a somewhat underwhelming regular season if you deliver in the playoffs. If you have a big-time moment or two in the postseason, you score a clutch goal or maybe you even score an overtime goal, whatever it might be, you take off your production season uptick, come Stanley Cup playoff time, and you make a deep run into the playoffs, then all is forgotten as far as an underwhelming regular season is concerned. And again, Kako, Hedl, Lafreniere, they've all had their moments this season, but I think a lot of fans, and I'd even include myself in this, uh, probably would have expected a little bit more out of all three of those guys, at least in the way of points. And what happens here in this game? They put the kids back together, the kid line. We haven't seen quite as much of those three playing together this year as we did last year, but that's your third line right now. It's the kids. And... What an awesome moment here that this would have been that basically got stolen away from them by the NHL, the Situation Room, the referees, whatever you want to say. This moment got taken away from them, and it was really just an absolutely—this is the second part of what I want to talk about here—just uh, a phenomenal play, a phenomenal individual effort by Capo Caco. You know, in the start of this episode, I described the play one more time, just kind of took everybody through uh, the goal that wasn't here. And basically what happened, again, the Penguins, they're looking to dump the puck. Kako doesn't let it happen. You know, he blocks the puck with his body. It falls to his skates. And there he goes up the ice. And I mean, just hitting the Jets, getting the blue line, and, you know, making a couple stick handles, getting his way toward the net, powering his way to the net, trying to get around Dumoulin, and, uh, you know, creating a scoring opportunity by sheer force of will here. And Capo Caco, as recently as probably last year and certainly two years ago, there's no way he makes this play. I mean, maybe he prevents the dump in, uh, you know, by the Penguins and at least gets the puck moving in the opposite direction. But he's become such a more assertive player and a more confident player. I don't think two years ago there's any chance whatsoever that we see Capo Caco uh, barrel his way to the net the way that he did in this instance here. And that's awesome to see. 
and it's a sign once again that Capo Cackle is getting better. I, I realize a lot of us want more points from him. Totally get it. Totally get the frustration if you know you were expecting that Capo Cackle would be further along in year three than he currently is. But if you haven't noticed that Capo Cackle is a better player than you know, he was last year and certainly two years ago, this is exhibit A right here because I don't think there's any way that he's assertive enough two years ago as a rookie, as a teenager in this league to, you know, have the wherewithal to just, again, sheer force of will, just force his way to the front of the net here. Uh, I think if this was a year ago, two years ago, he probably, you know, looks to make a pass, maybe dumps the puck deep, maybe hangs onto the puck and, and tries to find somebody to dish to. Uh, I don't think he does what he did here. And it was awesome to see him be that assertive. And then, uh, again, it's an aspect of the play that is not getting talked about enough for obvious reasons because the goal was disallowed and the controversy kind of steals the headlines. But after Kako falls down here, after he's pushed from behind by Dumoulin, he's flat on the ice on his stomach and... Again, he's able to find the puck, you know, while basically face down on the ice and get a backhand pass to Philip Hedl, and Hedl scores from the doorstep. And just great hockey instincts there. Great job, you know, not panicking, seeing the play all the way through, getting it to your open teammate. Uh, would have been a huge moment for Philip Hedl as well. I mean, Kako did pretty much all of the work here, but regardless, you know, Philip Hedl, he's in position there, you know, and maybe he was even calling for the puck on this play. Uh, Hard to say for sure because he kind of had his back toward the camera when they were showing the replays. But Kako gets the puck to Hedl, and Hedl scores, and this goal should have counted. And even Lafreniere, you know, I realize he didn't touch the puck on this play, but he was driving hard to the net on this play as well. He was creating at least a little bit of havoc in front, you know, in the goal crease there. The kid line had their moment taken away from them, and that sucks because the Rangers are a team, you know, as I was just talking about a second ago, they could, they could go on a deep run this season in the playoffs. And what have we been talking about? Just how lethal this team could be if the kids really kind of pick up their game. And this was going to be their moment right here. This is going to be the biggest moment of Capo Caco's hockey career to date, the biggest moment of Filipinos' hockey career to date, and it gets taken away on some nonsense technicality. And I don't even know what else to say about it. You know, it is what it is. It does feel like there are times the Penguins get bailed out by the referees, uh, there were a couple of stats that were going around. One thing that's pretty well known is that the Penguins are the least penalized team in the NHL. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that that means that the refs are in their back pocket or this or that or the other thing. And it could also suggest that, you know, this is a veteran team. They're smart. They are uh, wise enough not to take a lot of penalties to do their best to stay out of the penalty box. That certainly probably has something to do with it. But they are the least penalized team in the NHL. That is worth pointing out. They are also... Eight for eight in challenges this season. So every single time the Penguins have challenged uh, anything that happened on the ice, they have won said challenge, which is a little bit ridiculous. I mean, you're going to tell me that all eight times that the Penguins used their challenge, that they were in the right and that there was indisputable evidence to turn the call in their favor. I find that very, very hard to believe. I'd be ready, willing, and able to sit down and watch all eight of those plays. I mean, I don't know. Maybe somebody uh, listening to this can, can put that together for me, and I, I can take a look myself and just kind of go through it. But that's ridiculous. I don't think any team in the NHL uh, issuing eight challenges should get all eight of them overturned. Now, maybe this is a rare situation where all those calls indeed should have been overturned. Maybe it's a thing where, you know, Mike Sullivan is smart when it comes to his challenges. He only uses them in spots where, you know, he fully expects the call to go in his team's favor. But that's a little bit suspect as well. And, you know, we're going to get into some other things as well. Again, it was a three overtime game, but I 
did think it was very, very important to certainly talk about this play. But I'm going to leave you guys with one more question as it pertains uh, you know, to this play here and the call being overturned. What happens on this play? Same score, same situation in the game, 3-3, three, three, three minutes and change remaining. What happens if the exact same thing happens, but it's Sidney Crosby going toward the net and he makes this exact same amount of contact with Igor Shesterkin, and they call it a goal on the ice, and let's say, you know, Malkin was there to, to stuff in the rebound or whatever. Um, they make the same call on the ice, they say that it's a good goal, and then the Rangers challenge, and the refs go to take a look at it. Is this call going to be overturned in that situation? And I'm not even going to answer that question. I'll just let you guys form your own opinions on that. Maybe it would be, maybe it wouldn't be. I think it's a question worth at least asking here. But like I said, we're going to get into a couple other aspects of this game. I'm also going to tell you guys why it's definitely not panic time for the New York Rangers. Yes, they are down one game to nothing, but there's a couple of reasons why I still feel really good about the Rangers' chances in this series going forward, and I definitely believe in their ability to respond uh, you know, to some adversity here. So we'll get to all that in just a second, but first, just want to let everybody know that today's episode of Locked On New York Rangers is brought to you by Built Bar. Summer is coming, and with summer, you're going to need some food on the go. Built Bars are the perfect snack to take with you on family vacations. Throw them in your bags, in your kids' backpacks. Make sure that everyone has a bar so you are fueled for your summer adventures. The best part about Built Bars, they are healthy and delicious. No more sacrificing delicious food for health. With Built Bars, you can have both. And it's easy. All you have to do is go to built.com and order now. All Built Bars and Puffs are covered in 100% real chocolate. That means that with Built Bar, you can eat healthy and actually enjoy doing it. Built Bars make sure that there is something for everyone. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. Go to Built.com to get all your favorites. Banana cream pie, raspberry, double chocolate, and so many more. They're all delicious, and new flavors are coming out all the time. Check them out at Built.com. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKS15, and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKS15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, so I want to talk a little bit now about why I certainly don't think it's any time to hit the panic button if you're a member of the New York Rangers or even just a fan of this team. And I think the biggest reason for that, it starts with Igor Shesterkin. He was absolutely phenomenal in this game. He stops 79 of 83 shots, looked very much like the probable Vesna winner and maybe even a Hart Trophy finalist. You know, we'll see how that shakes out, but he was awesome. This is the Igor Shesterkin that we've known and loved all season long here. Again, 79 Saves on 83 shots. That's a save percentage of 952. So think about it. The Penguins needed to put 83 shots on goal just to get four past him. I don't think that that's a sustainable formula if the Pittsburgh Penguins. And look, obviously, their shot totals were inflated by the fact that this game went into triple overtime. And on top of that, you know, something else that you could say here, if you're maybe a Penguin fan, you could say, well, hey, you know, the Penguin goalies were pretty darn good as well. And yeah, they were. You know, I think Casey DeSmith, Louis Domingue both played very, very well in this game. But I don't think DeSmith or Domingue, or even Tristan Jerry, if he's back at some point, he's already ruled out for game two, but I don't think any of the Penguins goalies can continue to play at this high of a level, uh, certainly the way that Igor Shesterkin is capable of doing. And if one of these goalies on either team is going to continue to just stand on his head night in and night out on a consistent basis and keep the puck out of the net, 
uh, as well as Igor Shosturkin did in this game last night, uh, he's going to be the one to do it. It's not going to be any of the Penguin goalies. It's going to be Igor Shosturkin. The Rangers entered this series with a sizable advantage in net, and I believe they will continue to have a sizable advantage in net. Even last night, again, they got him for four goals, but it took three overtime periods. And on top of that, and I realize this is a little bit unfair what I'm about to say here, but if you take away 14 minutes of the second period uh, you know, during this game last night, that the Penguins scored three goals in, then Igor Shosturkin didn't give up a goal until the third overtime period, which is pretty crazy to think about. And I realize that's a little bit unfair to just chop out the 14 minutes of the game in which the Penguins you know, kind of found their stride offensively and scored those three goals. But it also must be said, and this kind of leads me into the next thing that I want to talk about, the biggest reason that the Penguins uh, scored those goals there when they did uh, and you know, got back into the game and tied the game at 2-2 and then tied the game at 3-3 is because the Rangers just did not play good defensive hockey in the second period. They permitted the Penguins to get 25 shots on net in the second period. You obviously just can't do that. That's not uh, a winning formula. But to me, that's a little bit of a fluke. We've seen the Rangers, since the trade deadline, uh, emerge as one of the best defensive teams in the NHL. And that's not hyperbole. That's literally what it is. I mean, you can use the eye test or you can go to some of the metrics. The Rangers have tightened up so much defensively uh, since they made those moves at the trade deadline. And, you know, the guys that have been there, it's easy to single out the guys that came in, you know, like Andrew Kopp, uh, Tyler Mott while he was playing, Frank Vetrano. But uh, I think also the Rangers that have been here have stepped up their game as well and uh, obviously clamped down defensively. Haven't been as overly reliant on Igor Shesterkin as they were, say, all the way back in October. So the Rangers team defense, I got to believe, again, this was just a fluke. And it wasn't even a fluke that lasted the whole game. I mean, they could have been better defensively for chunks of this game, obviously, in addition to just the second period. But the second period, the Ranger team defense was really bad. And again, I think that's uh, going to be the exception rather than the rule. I think they'll tighten things up in game two. And on top of all that, it leads me into another thing that I want to talk about. And that is the simple fact that the Rangers, all season long, they have really shown a knack to responding to adversity. And, you know, this is a team that through the entire regular season never lost more than three consecutive games. That's tremendously impressive no matter who you are. It's even more impressive when you consider the fact that the Rangers entered this NHL season as the third youngest team in the NHL. Uh, but, you know, again, this team, they always bounce back. Anytime there's a situation where, you know, the Rangers play a game, they're not at their best, it's just a poor performance or, you know, kind of a hard luck loss, whatever it might be. Some of their best games all season have been the games that have immediately followed such a loss. And the Rangers, I wouldn't say that they played badly. I think they can play a little bit better than they did last night, particularly defensively. Uh, but this was definitely a hard luck loss, and this gives them an opportunity to bounce back from this defeat as they've been doing all season. That's kind of been their MO. It's been one of the most uh, enjoyable and likable traits about this team is that when they get knocked down, they don't stay down. They get right back up. They got game two in Madison Square Garden. You know the place is going to be rocking again. You know the Rangers are going to come out flying, and I fully expect them to get that win, get this series even, heading back to Pittsburgh because, again— whether it's, you know, the players taking it upon themselves to respond, whether it's Gerard Gallant and the coaching staff that, you know, they know how to motivate these guys or push the right buttons or whatever it might be, this team, far more often than not, always bounces back from a difficult loss. And I think we're going to see the same thing in the playoffs as well. Another thing of note coming out of this game is the very simple fact that the Penguins caught a massive break late in the third period. We already talked about that in great length earlier in this episode, so we don't need to go into it in too much more detail here. But the odds of the Penguins uh, catching a, just a massive break like that again and again and again in this series is not very likely. I think the Rangers will frankly just 
play too well in game two for any amount of puck luck or anything like that to even make a difference. I look for the Rangers to come out and uh, win big in game two. I really think they're going to hit the ground running here. They're going to recognize the importance of getting the win in this game two, and they're going to get this series even uh, heading back to Pittsburgh once again. Something else of note in this game and something that I think will continue to be the case going forward is that the Rangers had a big edge in special teams play. The Rangers' uh, penalty kill was good on the night. The Penguins went only one for four on the power play, and the only goal that they scored was during a five-on-three. Besides that, I thought the Rangers defended fairly well while shorthanded. They even scored a goal while shorthanded. That was an outstanding play, by the way. Might as well just go through that real quick. Uh, you've got Mika Zibanejad getting kicked out of the face-off circle in the Rangers' zone, so Kreider takes the face-off. And a little bit of a tie-up on the dot. And then Mika, you know, swoops in there, explodes up the right side of the rink with the puck. And Kreider's following him. Kreider's up the center of the ice. Mika gains the blue line, flips a pass to his left to Chris Kreider. Kreider sold the forehand very, very well here, went to the backhand and scored. And that gave the Rangers a 3-2 lead after the Penguins had tied it at 2-2. But, you know, that's just one example of the Rangers having an edge in special teams play. Because like I said, for the most part, I thought the Rangers defended pretty well while shorthanded. And even in the instances where maybe they didn't, uh, Igor Shesterkin was there to make the saves. Like I said, uh, the Penguins only got the one goal on the power play, and they needed a 5-on-3 to do it. I know a lot of Ranger fans were also upset by the fact that, you know, the Penguins ended up with four power play opportunities, including a five-on-three here on which they scored a goal. There weren't too many instances where I could look at a penalty that was called against the Rangers and, you know, get super upset about it. That wasn't a penalty. That wasn't a penalty. I didn't really see anything like that. And there wasn't too much against the Penguins that wasn't called that I thought should have been. Uh, one example that definitely stood out where I thought there should have been a penalty, but of course I knew there wouldn't be a penalty, was in the overtime period. Uh, Ryan Lindgren was having some issues with the puck in his own zone, you know, kind of fumbling the puck a little bit. And Crosby was there breathing down his neck on the forecheck. And Crosby goes in and shoves Lindgren face first into the boards. The Garden did not like that. They were roaring. They wanted a penalty called on Crosby. But you knew it wasn't coming because, first of all, it's playoff overtime hockey. And at that point, the refs tend to swallow the whistles a little bit. I'm not saying they should or shouldn't do that. I mean, they probably shouldn't do that. If, a, if something's a penalty, then it's a penalty. But you guys know how it is in playoff hockey. Once it's in overtime, uh, it's got to be something really flagrant to get a call. And in fact, there were no penalties called against either team in any of the three overtime periods. And of course, it's Sidney Crosby, so you know they're not calling a penalty against him in overtime in a situation like this, which is unfortunate. But I mean, I'm at the point where that's just kind of reality. They're just not going to put their arm in the air uh, to call Sidney Crosby for a penalty in the overtime period. One other thing that I wanted to mention here, and it's something that I think the Rangers can and need to and probably will do a better job of in Game 2, and this is something that I noticed even in the first period, and if you watch this game, the first period was, uh, at least in regulation, the best period that the Rangers played all night. I thought the Penguins clearly had the edge in the second period, and then the third period, I thought the Penguins still had the edge. Uh, overtime, the first overtime period, I thought the Rangers came out looking good and getting more scoring opportunities than the Penguins did. Second overtime, I would say the same thing. It was a little bit more even, but I thought the Rangers had the edge in the second overtime. And then, of course, the third overtime only lasted a couple of minutes. But uh, yeah, a lot of momentum swings in this game for sure. But something that I noticed as early as the first period, despite the fact that the Rangers once again uh, largely outplayed the Penguins in the first, is that 
The Raiders seem to be having some issues clearing the puck out of their zone in the first period and certainly the second period. I thought, you know, by the time we were in overtime that the Rangers uh, did a better job of this, but there were just a couple of instances early in this game, and again, even in the first period where the Rangers played very, very well, where I thought the puck absolutely should have come out of the New York Rangers zone, and it just didn't. Whether it was an errant pass or somebody just mishandling the puck or somebody on Pittsburgh forcing a turnover, there were just a couple too many instances where the Rangers seemed to have a fairly easy path to getting the puck out of their own zone, and they just, for one reason or another, were not able to do so. And in fact, their failure to clear the puck was actually what led to the first Penguin goal of the night. The Rangers were up 2 to nothing at this time, and the Penguins scored a goal by Jake Gensel in the second period to cut it to 2-1. to one. And this whole sequence started with a two-on-one by the Penguins into the Rangers zone. You've got a cross-ice pass for Latang. Igor Shosturkin makes one of his many, many, many highlight reel-worthy saves on the night. He goes sliding hard to his right, keeps the puck out, and you know the puck was kind of under Igor. He didn't really seem to realize it. Uh, obviously, it's just pure chaos at this point. And, you know, Truba, he finds the puck before Igor does, and Truba tries to move the puck up the boards and out of the zone. He is unable to do so. So the play stays alive for the Penguins, and then just a matter of seconds later, you know, you get Crosby feeding Gensel in front of the net uh, for a tipping goal. Truba, at that point, you know, he was trying to get the puck out of the zone, had not gotten back, you know, into position. Uh, Gensel was pretty much all alone in front of the Ranger net, and Igor was kind of hung out to dry. Um, so, you know, Truba... He tried to get the puck out of the zone. He was unable to do so, led directly to the Penguins' first goal of the game. And even before that, I thought there were some instances in this game where the Rangers just were not as good clearing the puck out of their zone as they should have been and as they typically are. And like I said, I think that's uh, something that they'll certainly clean up in Game 2. That's something that I'm definitely going to be looking for uh, when the puck drops on Thursday night in Madison Square Garden. Uh, but that will pretty much do it for today, guys. You know, one other thing that I wanted to mention real quick here is any possible lineup changes for the Rangers in Game 2. I wouldn't really you know, do much of anything. I don't think certainly you're going to mess with the defense pairings at this point. I mean, assuming that Ryan Lindgren is good to go, which according to Gerard Gallant, it sounds like he will be for game two. Uh, him and Adam Fox should still be connected at the hip. You keep Miller and Truba together for sure. Uh, I think Braden Schneider looked pretty solid in this game. A lot of the young Ranger players, some of whom were making their Stanley Cup playoff debut, did not look like they were making their Stanley Cup playoff debut. I thought Lafreniere looked good in this game. I thought Braden Schneider looked pretty comfortable as well. Uh, I could see maybe Patrick Nemeth comes out of the lineup in favor of Justin Braun, partly just because, you know, this is a grueling game. It went three overtimes. Everybody was out there for, you know, just a crazy amount of ice time. In fact, on the Rangers, Ryan Reeves had the least amount of ice time, and even he got 16 minutes and 10 seconds in this game. I mean, you had Cop with 34-19, you had Panarin with 31-53, Strom with 30-20, Mika Zibanejad with 32-32, and then, you know, Truba 42-32, Adam Fox and Keandre Miller both had 44-28, just an insane amount of ice time uh, for pretty much everybody on the New York Rangers. So I can see maybe for that reason in and of itself, uh, maybe Justin Braun subs into the lineup in exchange for Patrick Nemeth just to get somebody out there who's fresh and ready to go. Maybe a fresh Justin Braun is better than uh, you know Patrick Nemeth that just played 29-52 the other night. And the other thing that might be working against Patrick Nemeth is the fact that he ended up taking two penalties in this game. And so maybe Justin Braun gets a chance to sub in on that third pairing alongside Braden Schneider there. I think Schneider's safe. I think he played well enough in this game and played well enough down the stretch that you can certainly pencil him into the lineup, but we'll see how the Rangers look to uh, look to go on game two. Uh, definitely looking forward to it. Cannot wait to see this team back in action. And again, I just want to thank you guys so much for you know reaching out to me 
uh, you know, following the birth of my daughter, being patient and understanding uh, that I was going to take a couple episodes off here, even with the playoffs just around the corner. Believe me, I wanted to do these episodes, but, you know, family's got to come first. I don't know that we're going to be quite back at, you know, five episodes per week. We will eventually get back to that format. Uh, what I certainly will do, barring anything unforeseen, is have an episode after game two. We'll maybe look to do an episode uh, between games one and game two, but we will definitely have an episode, I would say, after game two, you know, a post-game episode. We'll, we'll see if we get one uh, in between that time, you know, before game two happens, because so much happened in this game, and this episode's already running long. There's a boatload more I could talk about, but I thought it was appropriate once again to break down uh, the non-goal, the goal that wasn't by Filipino from every conceivable angle, and then just kind of run through a couple of other things uh, that I noticed in this game as well, a couple of other talking points to come out of this game. But uh, yeah, we will be back at some point, and we'll certainly do a post-game episode for Game 2. One last thing I want to do, give a big shout-out to Mr. Gil Martin of Locked On New York Islanders and Locked On NHL for subbing in for me. Uh, he teamed up with Hunter Hodes, both those guys, two of the absolute best, absolute pros. I thought they did a phenomenal job with their crossover episode previewing this series. I, it was a lot of fun for me, too. It was a chance to uh, listen to Locked on New York Rangers, an episode that I had pretty much nothing to do with. Uh, so that was just kind of unique for me as well. But those two guys are the best, man. They, they just do a phenomenal job with their shows as well. And, you know, maybe we'll link up with Hunter for a pregame crossover episode, postgame crossover episode, whatever it might be. We will see. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just going to play it day by day here. And, again, thank you guys so much for those of you that reached out to me to congratulate me and uh, my wife on the birth of our beautiful daughter. And, uh, like I said, we will be back here with a new episode before you know it. Uh, but that will do it for today, guys. Once again, if you'd like to get in touch with this podcast, please send an email to LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. Once again, that is LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. And definitely give us a follow on Twitter as well, at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Once again, that is at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Thanks again, guys. I'll see you next time. Thanks for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. Now make your second listen Locked On NHL. From first-round matchups to each Stanley Cup kiss, Locked On NHL covers the playoffs like no other. Hear the latest news and opinions from local experts every Monday through Friday. It is free and available wherever you get your podcasts.